Well, good evening. Kate Wheeler here with Christine Bentley, and we hope you had a very happy Father's Day. If you are marking the occasion, you are, of course, now listening to what she said. And thank you so much for tuning in. Ah, I am just back from vacation you are. this weekend. We have a slew of educational and informational guests on tonight. So get your notepad or whatever you use ready. I did a little spring cleaning at home while I was off. And tonight we're talking to Dillis DeCruz from Meridian Credit Union about spring cleaning our finances and creating a realistic budget for ourselves. And keeping on the money beat, have you ever thought about turning your side hustle into a full-time gig? A recent RBC poll found that 64 percent of business owners say that they started a business because the opportunity presented itself, while 43 percent said that having a great idea is what drove them to start their business. We're going to chat with RBC Regional VP David Bazak about starting a business's challenges that uh, future business owners uh, face, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Did you know that today was International Picnic Day? If you didn't get a chance to pack a basket and enjoy some food in the great outdoors, we're talking to Chef Justin Kent about perfecting our picnics. Justin is best known for his business, Picnics in Paris, and has some absolutely amazing food and drink recommendations for all of us. Well, a good picnic is always better with good music, and we are featuring Heather Bambrick in our studio sessions tonight. She's a Juno-nominated vocalist, voice actor, broadcaster, and educator, and she's worked with some of the best in the business. And every weekend, musicologist Eric Alper tells us cool stories about songs and albums that we grew up listening to, and tonight, and on the record, he's going to tell us about some of the most expensive albums ever made. And we also have Kim Duffy, the founder of the Waterstone Foundation, along with Emma Lyle, a Waterstone Fund recipient. And they're going to be talking about eating disorders. They're going to share their personal stories and tell us exactly what Waterstone does to help those in need. So how great is this? Elevation Pictures is giving our listeners free tickets to see The Big Sick. It's about bickering parents and a serious health scare that threatened the budding relationship between a Pakistani stand-up comet and his American girlfriend. We're giving away double passes to screenings in Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Halifax, and Victoria. So go to whatshesaid.com, click on contest to claim yours before they're all gone. That's what she said, talk.com. We have to get the talk in there. Otherwise, they won't get the free tickets. Oh. <laughs> and also on that contest page, don't forget, we are giving away two copies of True Family Wealth. That's by Chris Clark, as well as 25% off Boomer Nutrition's Energy Protein Powder. I love our guests and sponsors. Yes, me too. We're going to take a short break, but coming up, tips for starting a business with RBC's regional vice president, David Bazak. This is what she said. Stay with us. Making it work takes a little longer Making it work takes a little time Making it work well, whether it's putting a new idea into action or turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, there's something about the warm weather that just makes us want to change intention into action. So how do you know when you're ready to take that leap? Joining us today with tips is David Bazak, Regional VP at RBC. Welcome to What She Said, David. Hello, and thank you. So tell us, let's, let's start with what are some of the driving factors for people to start their own business these days? Um, there's a number of things. I mean, sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes some, an event has happened at their place of work for how many number of years? Um, and out of necessity, because maybe they can't find something or because that, of that life change, they've decided mm -hmm. I want to now maybe pursue something that I've thought about before and maybe didn't have an opportunity to, to do, but now mm -hmm. I do. Um, it could be just I'm in a rut. I've been doing something for a number of years, working for a large corporation, working for the government. Um, I don't feel independent. I don't feel autonomous. I kind of just want to get out of that. And I only have so many years of a professional career in me. Um, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I think a little bit of all of that. All of the above. So, yeah. so then what are some of the potential pitfalls or things that small business owners potential owners would overlook? Well, I mean, I think like anything, um, when you make that decision or if that decision is sort of being made for you a little bit, mm -hmm. um, you have to be very thoughtful 
um, in in the approach that you're taking. Um, you want to be demonstrating to the circle of advisors you're surrounding yourself with. And I guess that would be the first piece of advice I would give is maybe a fault is that you've sort of isolated yourself. I have a great idea and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to surrounding yourself with a circle of advisors that may be um, you know, friends, family, maybe um, professional advisors, accountant, lawyer, banker, um, where you sort of talk through, this is what I'm thinking, this is where I'm at. Um, surely you know other people that have done similar things. What have they done that contributed to to their choice going well? What did they do that sort of caused pitfalls? And so just sort of going through that more deliberative process as you make those choices um, can sort of help avoid avoid pitfalls. Just not isolating yourself, I would say, would be one big piece of advice. I think in this generation, starting your own business is a very romantic and very um, – notion. You know, everybody wants to start their own thing and they'll be the next Facebook or the next Google or the next Amazon or something. So, and then often they will, they don't want to take the advice of their circle because they think people are kind of raining on their parade. So how do you, um, what would you say to people? What is the checklist to go through to make sure that this isn't just a great um, idea that you see yourself in, but you're really not prepared. It's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know that I have the greatest answer, but let me let me try. Um, one thing I recommend to each of you and your listeners is I just saw a few days ago uh, Mark Zuckerberg, um, owner founder of mm-hmm. Facebook, did a commencement address Harvard. for Harvard. Uh, did any of you see it? My my daughter was there. Yeah, was she there? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and did she talk to you about it? Um, she, she did. She said it rained through the whole thing. Okay. So it was right. <laughs> absolutely a visible so, event, so apparently. A, yeah, get a little more info from her on the actual address, though, mm. um, because anybody that saw the movie would have a certain impression of this guy. Um, his commencement address, though, was beyond inspirational. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, Christine, he kind of spoke to um, he didn't know. Um, he didn't know what Facebook would become when he kind of went off on his own. He had an idea. He had a concept. He didn't know exactly what would sort of Happen. play out. And and so, you know, there's a level of risk you take as you sort of start on your own. Um, that's okay. Like, you know, and, and how you calculate that risk will sort of depend on your circumstances, where you're at in your life stage, what familial responsibilities you have. Certainly a, a 22-year-old at Harvard can kind of take on a lot more risk than a 45-year-old with a family of three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really inspirational in terms of the, you know, that, that sort of, don't don't wait to sort of feel like you've solved exactly what you're looking for, but but pursue the dream, pursue um, you know the opportunity you're you're looking to solve. Um, you know, I, I'd say in terms of checklist, um, I, I go back to sort of my first answer, which is the more you surround yourself with. Um, a circle of advisors that, again, could be a mix of professionals, could be friends and family, could be just you on your own going to a bank saying, oh, how many people do you know doing blank? Give me some feedback. What goes well? What doesn't? Um, that will really help you directionally make better decisions than not. So what about um, a business plan? Because a lot of people think that you only need that if you're going to the bank for money, right? Yes. So the words business and plan together kind of scare people. Yeah. They think, oh my gosh, I need an MBA, uh, I need a BCom, um, got to fire up the computer and laptop and where do I start? Yeah, and oh the God. spreadsheets yeah. and get into the analytics. Um, and it's not that. I mean, it can be that if you want it to be, but it's it really comes down to demonstrating that you have been thoughtful in um, what, a, what do I want to do um, who is my target market, which is a fancy way of saying whatever I'm looking to do, who's going to be consuming what I'm looking to do? Um, how have I demonstrated that, yeah, you know, there, there's, a, there's a demand for what I want to do, that I've tested it in some way, um, that I have a certain background, either academically or having been a manager at this kind of business over the years, that now I kind of want to own this on my own. Mm-hmm. So I have that experience. Um, that I've kind of looked at sort of what are the other competitors that are doing this kind of thing and, and here's how my approach would be and here's how I will get customers here. Here's how I will get people to consume what I want to do. Um, I think just demonstrating and and when I run this thing, um, you know, here's 
here's how my managerial acumen will demonstrate that that I'll be okay. And you know, I'd say last from a from a numbers perspective, um, you know, when you're coming to a bank. Um, you know, we'll want to see that you have your skin in the game too, right? So to to come to the bank with not being prepared to sort of put forth any any money on your own, any equity on your own, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's not being as thoughtful as we would want to see. And so um, so I think a combination of all of those things would be what we would see as a business plan. Is the landscape different for women than for men, do you think? No. No. Um, I mean, we're proud. We, we do a lot of things to sort of help, uh, you know, recognize successful women entrepreneurs, you know, in the market. Um, I would say that, um, you know, we're probably seeing more female entrepreneurs pursuing opportunities today than ever before. And that can be for a whole host of so- socioeconomic uh, reasons. Well, we understand that mompreneurs are the yeah. biggest startup business in Canada. Well, and it, and it hits on one of the reasons why you're seeing more startup businesses is I want the flexibility to pick up my kid at mm-hmm. four o'clock, um, and spend time with them, do bath time, reading time, whatever it is. And then at nine o'clock, I can do my work from nine to 11. Like I want that flexibility. I don't, you know, and every parent has that challenge of, you know, early morning and pick up um, as a sort of, really, really stressful periods of the day where if I have a normal nine to five. So a lot of what drives that uh, mompreneurship is that flexibility. So how can RBC and people at RBC help you if you're just sort of at the planning stage of this is what my idea? Well, I I think that's a great question because people feel I can only come to an RBC and hopefully it's an RBC um, when I have my business plan ready and I know exactly what I want to do. Um, no, I mean, you could come to us earlier. In fact, I would say it's better to come to us earlier. Let us talk to you and let us help you sort of think through the things that you want to have checked off um, before you sort of formally come to us for an application for financing to support your your the business startup that you want to do. So I would say the earlier the better. And, um, you know, we've got information I can sort of share with you 24-7, a phone number, mm-hmm. 1-800-769-2520, 1-800-769-2520. And you'll right away be connect, connected with a small business advisor who on the phone can support you and who can further sort of set you up with an in-person meeting at one of our branches and just talk through what you're thinking about. So what division are they looking for then? Small, is it small, small business? business? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I, don't even worry. Just say, I'm starting a business. Where do and I go? How where can do I, I get go? some Who help? can I talk to? Yeah, we're, we're not, yeah, our clients don't, and prospective clients don't need to worry about silos. It's just tell us what you want to do. We'll, we'll get you in front of the right person. Well, David Bazak, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, it was a pleasure. I think this has been extremely helpful to a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much. This is what she said. Stay with us. In Canada, people with eating disorders looking for help are faced with wait times as long as a year for publicly funded treatment upon release from inpatient or day hospital treatment. Joining us to discuss this tonight is Kim Duffy, founder of the Waterstone Foundation, and Emma Lyle, a Waterstone Fund recipient. Welcome, ladies, to what she said. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now... I don't know whether people realize that eating disorders have the highest mortality of any psychiatric illness and is the leading cause of death for women between 17 and 24 years of age. Kim, why don't you start out by telling us what Waterstone does? Uh, Waterstone Foundation uh, was started just three years ago um, to help one raise awareness of eating disorders and the severity of them and to help provide financial aid to those individuals that are seeking uh, specialized treatment. So, um, yeah, we, we raise money to help those. That, Why so. did you want to found this? Um, my eldest daughter uh, suffered from uh, an eating disorder, which began when she was 15 years of age. And we were... Uh, initially uh, had to wait eight months to get her into treatment um, mm-hmm. and to even have an assessment to say that she, you know, that it was an eating disorder. And uh, being the eldest uh, child of four, it created um, upheaval in the whole family. We didn't know what to do. Um, and I could see her, 
you know, deteriorating. And I was like, we have to do something. So um, we uh, waited to get her into uh, one of the hospitals and she got in. And then unfortunately she had a relapse and we had to wait again. And we decided uh, we're not going to wait. And we uh, sent her to the U.S. for treatment. So as many as like more than 600,000 Canadians meet the diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder at any mm-hmm. given time. Is that right? Yes. Now, Emma, you're one of them. You were one of them. So you were 28 and you say you began to think and feel obsessive about food at the age of 20. W- what led you to admit yourself into Toronto General Hospital for your disorder? Well, um, I started suffering eight years ago when I was 20 with an eating disorder, and I actually didn't admit myself until I was 27 to TGH. And at that time, um, I was I got down to 72 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And I'm 5'6". Um, and it really took the support and the encouragement from my mom and my sister and my dad, who are just unbelievable, because um, I was too horrified and scared to do it on my own. But I, I think I, I really hit rock bottom in, in terms of depression. Um, just losing myself, not knowing who I was, what was happening to myself. I really lost hope. And so I, I know I needed help outside of myself because I realized I, I couldn't do this on my own even though I wanted to. And I desperately tried hard, hard, hard. Um, but yeah, I went into TGH and um, spent a month there. I spent um, February 2016, I spent the month in TGH. Um, and then I went to Waterstone um, almost about eight months later. And I stayed at Waterstone um, as an outpatient. I traveled there Monday to Friday, um, about six hours a day uh, for two months. So what were the key messages that you learned? From Waterstone? Mm-hmm. It really took away my fear and helped me to learn to have a light attitude towards food because I had a huge fear base around food. For me, it was all obsessive compulsion and analyzing how food felt in my stomach to the extremes. I would plan what I would eat for dinner on Tuesday night. If I want to have this for dinner Tuesday night, what do I have for lunch and dinner Monday? It was that far advanced. Mm. And so... I just started eliminating food groups. And so that's how I got down to 72 pounds very gradually. But, you know, once you get to, at least once my body got to about 90, weight just drastically drops off fast. So Waterstone helped me to just learn how to normalize my eating again and become excited about food and not be afraid to try food. Because I would say, oh, I'll try this apple tomorrow. Because I had not eaten an apple in about five years. Wow. Um. And it would take me about, you know, three to four weeks to build up courage to try an apple or to try an, a new type of yogurt or to try, you know, a certain type of chicken dish. Um, where there, they just made it. They're like, okay, hey, we're having this Tuesday. And Tuesday, 12 o'clock lunchtime came around, we ate it. And I would I would feel fine after. And because we were talking about other things, my, my focus was not on my stomach. And so thoughts about other more important things in my life started to manifest again and there's other things that matter in life besides you know what what you put in your mouth that does matter because it nourishes our cells um but I had other things I wanted to pursue in my life and bring how are you today I'm good I'm good but I know it was I I know well on my heart it was Waterstone that really made me hit my turning point so what would you say to people who are struggling with this and who are too scared to reach out for help? Own your story. Don't be ashamed of it because everyone struggles with something. Um, don't compare yourself because I did that a lot. I compared myself to other women who were successful who had muscular, curvy bodies. Um, but don't be afraid to talk about it to your family, to your friends. Um, and I know it's hard. I know it's... Um, scary to ask for help but at some point in our lives we all do and there are, it's more rewarding for someone to help you mm. um to see you get better so so kim tell us about this new eating disorder initiative which you say is going to be the first of its kind in the gta what is it um <clears throat> well there was um 
What we would like to do is to be able to help uh, different groups that um, have different programs going on in, in the GTA. Um, and we reached out last year, we reached out to eight different uh, programs in actually all of Ontario, and we got proposals back where we ended up funding four different programs uh, eating disorder programs um, that each provided innovative treatment, um, being incorporating addictions into treatment. We provided funding for a transition house, which is the first one uh, actually in Canada. Um, and uh, additional, at South Lake Regional, we provided additional multifamily therapy. Uh, there needs to be more services available, unfortunately. I, I see there's there's a lack of resources. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're raising awareness, but individuals need to have a place to go, um, and that is one of the problems that we, we are faced with. And what about research that needs to be done? Because this, dis this disease uh, it straddles every single group and category. It's yep. ages... Uh, sexes, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. It can be anybody. Yeah. Um, eating disorders, they know, does have a genetic component to it. And there's always been the, the saying that um, underlying there's a genetic, um, but the environment could pull the trigger. So just like everybody may have something underlying and, and there can be an outside influence that will set it off. Um, there needs to be more research, most definitely, um, and and I and I do hope there is more done. It's it's expensive, I know that, um, but yeah, there has to be more to understand more about the illness. So, where can people learn more about the services that Waterstone offers? Um, Waterstone Foundation, www.waterstonefoundation.ca, and we have our website. Um, and there's details of what we do and where our funding is, uh, the money that we're raising, where it goes to. And is there anywhere that people can go who, who have, let's say, have a child who's suffering and they don't know where to get the money or where to get the help? Um, well, through the foundation, yep. uh, most definitely. And I will put in a, you know, NEDIC, which is the National Eating Disorder Information Center, which is where they are um, a not-for-profit as well, and they provide information of where to go uh, throughout, throughout Canada, actually. So that's great. Well, Emma, Emma we're glad you're well. And, mm -hmm. and thank you for everything you're doing, Kim. I think it's, it's amazing. And, and for sharing your stories and raising awareness about such an Im important topic. And uh, waterstonefoundation.ca is a registered not-for-profit charity. And uh, we support you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is what she said. Stay with us. Okay, joining us now is our musicologist Eric Alper in On the Record, which is brought to you by Roar Records. And have you ever thought about how much money your favorite album costs to make tonight? We are going to talk about some of the most expensive albums ever made. And I didn't buy that one. What was that? Guns N' Roses? That was Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Chinese Democracy. What, like in the 13 years in between albums, you weren't waiting for that one to come? Because <laughs> the record label certainly was, in fact, to the tune of $13 million. Whoa. This is how much that this album cost them. Now, it wasn't so much of the studio time, but it was the chief engineer costing them $14,000 a month. The recording software engineer, $25,000 a month. The studio itself cost $50,000 a month. And this guitar technician, the guy that goes bing on your guitar, a measly $6,000 a month. 13 years it took them to release this album. $13 million to cost the record label. How so, much did they so, make, yeah. Well, was that um, a million dollars a in, year? In fact, there's a story that the record label tried to 
bribed the band to work quicker and offered them a million dollars if they completed the album during a certain period of time. The record label lost that bet because they missed the deadline by 10 and a half years. So. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's just incredible. 13 years. So what did they do? Record one song a year at a cost of a million bucks? Not only were they trying to record the album, but Axl Rose, the lead singer, was trying to also re-record their first album again with this new band and just waiting for the muse to come. Maybe the muse got lost and didn't have their GPS going. And everybody was on standby for Everybody was on standby. Oh, boy. This is how much times have changed. So, Gundy Rose's Chinese Democracy cost $13 million. Fleetwood Mac's Tusk album only cost $1.4 million back in 1979 money. And in fact, when the record label denied the band to build a new studio, what they did was they recreated Studio D in Los Angeles for the band. So that cost them a lot of money. In fact, when the group was celebrating this brand new revamping of the studio, drummer and leader of the band Mick Fleetwood went out and bought himself a $70,000 sports car on the record label bill, which was totaled. By the time that it got to the studio, it got rear-ended and jammed into a pool. <laughs> Record label had to pay for that. That's where you get $1.4 million of an album. It's only rock and roll. <laughs> Def Leppard's Hysteria, which only cost the record label $4.5 million, but it really wasn't their fault because on December 31st, 1984, there was a car accident that took out the left arm of drummer Rick Allen, who needed to figure out how to drum again. So all of that time was still spent on the record label dime. Not only did Rick Allen have a car accident, the producer, Mutt Lang, had a car accident, and lead singer Joe Elliott had the mumps. For many, many months. So all of those hospital bills ended up on the record label Dime and Hysteria spent over 25 weeks in the top 10, making back some, if not all of the money of four and a half million dollars. Talk about it. If you're a warrant man, shout about it. The Seeds of Love, they are on tour again this summer, and that album costs one and a half million dollars. Not a ton of money when you compare it to Guns N' Roses, but that's because the leaders of the group, Kurt Smith and Roland Ordebal, completed an album using sequencers and computers and hated it all. So they restarted again with human musicians and new singers. Um, and during that time period of six or seven years, they recreated the album all over again using physical instruments. And in fact, they were so much in debt that they had to go on a two and a half year world tour to pay the money back. <laughs> and he's buying diamonds and pearls. of them all the most expensive record album ever produced that's michael jackson's invincible it only cost sony music back in 2001 30 million dollars to release that album that's because that michael jackson was recording anywhere between 50 and 85 songs during the course of the record he had three studios running 24 hours a day with different producers and engineers because nobody knew what studio Michael Jackson wanted to use when he woke up this morning. So all of them were running all at the same time. And in fact, that was really the most expensive album at $30 million to make. Wow. Ooh. 30 million big ones. What I could do with that. <laughs> you could buy Rise on Roar Records 30 million times, which I think we should all go out and do. Oh, thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you next weekend. Uh, Eric Alper is brought to you by Roar Records, and you don't have to spend $30 million. You can download the $1. new single, Rise, by Elise Saunders, based on the heroic story of Olympian Jessica Phoenix on iTunes and Spotify right now.
Welcome back to What She Said. Today marked International Picnic Day, and joining us now is Chef Justin Kent, who is best known for his business, Picnics in Paris. And he's going to help us step our picnic game up tonight. Welcome, Justin. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Now, you just hosted the Sunset Soiree, the ultimate summer picnic, earlier in the week. We're kind of sad we missed you, but you're going to give our listeners some tips for hosting a great picnic. So start out by going into more detail about why you are here and what you're working on with Grey Goose. Yeah, so um, I was brought out to Canada. I have a small restaurant uh, in Paris called Zia, and from there we do picnics, in Paris, throughout the city, um, my background has been working in farm-to-table uh, restaurants while I've been in Paris over the last six years. Um, that really led to a natural partnership with Grey Goose. Uh, they use the highest quality ingredients, and I have the same philosophy. That's really a key to having a great picnic is using the best ingredients. And so they brought me out here to work with them and develop the Sunset Soiree. So I created a meal to pair with some of the cocktails that they had. Well, that sounds absolutely fabulous now, because no picnic is complete without a good drink. So tell us about your favorites. Um, Well, they created a few uh, for the event, but one in particular that they had, which was just delicious, is the Grand Fizz, uh, using Grey Goose, some lime juice, a little bit of Saint-Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur, and some soda water. Uh, It is just fantastic, really simple, great to pre-make to take on a picnic as well. You take it in a batch and share it amongst everyone that you've invited. Mm-hmm. There's a key element to a picnic. <laughs> and what about the Grey Goose Espresso Martini? Uh, that was delicious. That was um, developed during the dinner uh, or the dessert course. It was a take on the Café Gaumont. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we served that with some desserts that were paired along with uh, chocolate and caramel tart with some fel de sel and uh, fruit and pastry cream dessert that we did as well. It was just fantastic. So for people who can't bring you in to host their picnic, what are the five things that they should know when hosting their own picnic? Um, well, I like to think of a great way in terms of elevating a picnic. One is, you know, an easy way to do an elevated picnic is to bring along some real flatware and plateware and glassware. Mm-hmm. You can wrap it up in your napkins and take that along with you, so it's an easy way to to elevate it. Um, I really am a huge proponent of using the highest quality ingredients that I can find. You mm-hmm. can keep the picnic rather simple if you're using great products. Um, so I like to go to my local market, my farmer's market, and see what the local producers are uh, selling. From there, it's easy to create a salad with a nice vinaigrette and some cheese, a little bit of charcuterie. Um, uh, another way to really make it great is to have a refreshing cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so making a batch of Grey Goose Le Grand Fizz is a great opportunity to share a refreshing drink with your friends and family that you can invite. Uh, and, you know, first and foremost, make it comfortable. Uh, that, that, I think, too, is a key component to any picnic is you want to be comfortable and have a fun, good time. So my sister-in-law has one of those new fancy cooler chests that has has a blender that attaches right to it. So ah. we're <laughs> we're we're all about uh, all about the, the the cooler drinks. But what what do you think is you talked about the espresso mar- martini and what was the name of that other one? The the fizz. The grand fizz. The grand fizz. That sounds refreshing, and it sounds like the espresso martini would pick you up in the afternoon and 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 keep you keep you going. Yeah. Absolutely. The Grand Fizz is great. It's kind of a take on a spritz. Uh, right. So it's really light and refreshing, not overly heavy. Uh, you know, so it, during a picnic when it can sometimes get hot out, uh, it's nice to be a little bit cooled off, have a nice amount of ice in there, and pour it over some ice is a great way to stay refreshed. Well, I can see myself drinking an awful lot of Grand Fizz. So uh, <laughs> what food would you recommend so I don't end up curling up and having a nap in the middle of the picnic? That's a great question. Uh, I really like to keep picnics light, uh, you know, not heavy. You kind of have to walk around at least back to your car or back home uh, after a picnic. So keeping it light, uh, easy salad. I like to do shaved vegetables from the market with uh, champagne vinaigrette, for example. A little bit of goat cheese is a great avenue uh, Mm. to go. Some lovely cheese. Stick with some cheeses, maybe that, uh, you know, low moisture, like a Gouda, uh, a brie could be great, uh, blue cheese, kind of some classics, 
some salami, dried fruits, and some nuts is also a great route to go. You know, it's not going to melt in the heat, so that's always convenient. So now all these, if, if you're wondering how to make these uh, wonderful drinks, they are going to be up on our website. So you can head over to whatshesaidtalk.com uh, and do to tweet us if you try one out this weekend. What's your handle on uh, on Twitter, Chef Justin? Uh, my handle on Twitter is at uh, Zia Paris, Z-I-A-P-A-R-I-S. And you said Zed. Well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I've been learning while I've been here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We wish you all the best, and you will have to come back and visit us next time I'm... and mix us some drinks in studio. Would love to do that. <laughs> this is what she said. Stay with us. we all know that most of us don't enjoy dealing with our finances, just as many of us don't particularly like cleaning. But that has to be done, and we have an expert joining us, Meridian's VP of Community Banking, Dillis DeCruz, who is going to help us clean our finances. Welcome, Dillis. <laughs> so much fun. Thank you, Kate. Great to be here. So 10 tips for spring cleaning your finances. But first of all, what exactly do you mean by spring cleaning your you finances? You know, I think it's a great time. You know, as I sit down and cl- clean my closet right now is what I'm doing. It's a great time for us to just stop, pause, and take stock mm-hmm. of where we are financially. And, uh, you know, because it can get away from us. So it's just an opportunity to take a look at where you are and where you want to go. Okay, so what do we start? Like, what do I have? I guess would be like, how much do I have my investments, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing is, is um, you know, I think the five key things I want to talk about is, is there, take stock of where you are. So, you know, what what do you have from investment perspective? What do you have from a debt perspective? And where do you want to be, right? I mean, it's all about goal planning as well, too. What do you want to get out of life? What Do you, do you want to go on vacation? Do you want to buy a car? And so really take stock of where you are and where you want to be. And so there's some things that um, to be part of this whole process, I've got five tips I want to share with you uh, that sometimes people don't think about. And so starting with tip number one is I'm going to talk about credit score. Know what your credit score is. And many of us don't. So it's also referred to as a beacon score. And credit score is um, really determines uh, wh- how much banks will lend to you, whether mm-hmm. it's on a credit card, whether you need a loan. It's really an indicator of how you manage your credit as well. And so it used to be more difficult to to get access to uh, your credit score. Quite often you go to Equifax or you can go to Transcontinental. But now there's more and more firms such as Borowell and many other firms out there that are just providing your credit score free. Okay, because I was going to say, because it used to be that when you looked up your credit score, your credit score actually went down. Yeah, uh, right. So, so you lead me into something. So that is not an inquiry. When you're actually – when you personally are asking for your own credit score, that is not an inquiry. That doesn't so you count. Look, okay, no. good. So they'll give you a credit report. But I'm glad you brought that up because the things that you want to really know about that affects your credit score is obviously how much – debt you have, mm-hmm. how often um, or h- how frequently that you're paying down or you're not going into, you're not missing payments. So in other words, if you miss a payment that is uh, for a credit card or a loan, that is going to affect your credit score. But the third thing which you brought up is every time you get an inquiry done on your credit, that will affect. So if you're shopping for credit cards and you're, everybody's making these great offers and they're offering you all these freebies and you've now applied for three different credit cards and you're going to a different bank to get uh, a loan, it's going to take a hit on your credit card. So be very conscious of how many credit inquiries uh, you are having done. What about when you're shopping for a mortgage or something, which a lot of people does? does uh, yeah, so mortgages won't hit you right away. Okay. Um, now, because you will go in for pre-approvals before they take the credit, uh, credit score, but when you actually start going through the approval, they will pull that up. Okay. Yeah. So really, really important uh, to do that. Uh, Track your spending. And so that can sometimes be easier said than done, right? How do we track our spending, especially when we're using, again, debit and credit so freely and easily? I I barely use cash. So there is a good thing about that because um, everything is tracked now. Uh, and you can see where you're spending your money. So you can use apps. There's many apps on the market that will help you um, track where your money is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, many financial institutions have that linked into their online banking service. And there's another uh, way to do it, which I've done as well, too, is you can download your statement 
through your online bank. And then if you know Excel, and it's quite easy to do, you just sort it uh, alphabetically. And then you can, and then put a little subtotal. <laughs> and you can see how much money you're spending on coffee or how much money you're spending oh, on – This you could know, be bad. <laughs> and it's, it's enlightening. It's yeah. enlightening. So even if you don't have an app, even once a month or every couple of months, download this. Just sort it on Excel because it comes in an Excel spreadsheet. And, uh, and you can take a look. So this is a really good way to kind of get a reality check. And I've done it and I've been surprised at sometimes where I am just loosely spending or spending way too much. And so that can help you then in, in eventually create like a budget, a realistic uh, budget, right? You led right into my third point. See, I'm just so perfect. good. I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So take the banker. So. Yeah, hardly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so absolutely. Next piece is if you have a budget, review it. If not, create one. Now, it is such a big word, budget, create mm-hmm. your budget, and people get scared. So I really want to say just be realistic about it. You know, be realistic. Don't don't get too overly aggressive. And really what you want to do is what income do I have coming in and what am I spending it on? So what are all my expenses? Where is it going? And what debt do I have and what investments do I have? And so once you figure out what you have left over and once you've taken out your income and all your debt and credit card payments and everything else, um, what do you have left over? And is that sufficient to save uh, or are you in the red? And if you're in the red, then you're going to need to start scaling back. And that's why tracking your expenses is really important. Are you in favor of like automatic payments so that you don't um – it just I, – I prepay like my cell phone thing. That's done. It's automatically done. Yeah. So you just led into my point number four. You were just like on fire. It's unbelievable. My fourth point was – I'll just – you know, maybe I we think just you should just do now. this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Four is automate. Uh, it is automate. Okay. Because sometimes I worry because sometimes I think maybe I should have gone back and actually checked the bill Yeah. in case – there, I was overcharged something, but because it's already taken care of, I don't tend to look as closely as I would if I was still getting the bill in the mail. Yeah, you're absolutely right because that does happen, and that that's a risk. I know you get um, you get lazy, you get complacent because it's coming out. You just assume it's okay, so you're mm-hmm. not as diligent because you exactly. haven't paid. That's it. the word. So you do um, because there have been mistakes, right? Sometimes you get all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you're going through your statement. So that's why it's important to check your statement regularly and go back and just see what the payments that are coming out and look at the statements for whatever you have coming out automatically. Um, But I think it's a really good way because then again, you know what's coming out um, and you don't have to worry about making that bill payment and you, you get it done on time as well. And so uh, with Automate, again, I talk about savings all the time. Automate that that savings plan so that it's just part uh, part of what you do. It comes out biweekly with your pay or monthly. Uh, but it's just take out a little bit of money, as much as you can afford, and increase it as you can. Put it away in a separate savings account. And by the way, I have about three or four savings accounts, you know, and I label them different things. So I have a vacation one. I have one for the kids. Uh, I have one if I want, you know, if I'm saving for a car or a longer or a midterm purchase. I have one for midterm purchase. So have more than one savings account. And, and you know, Meridian has a savings account that pays 1.5% interest with no fees. So why not set up a bunch of them and then just have money, uh, you know, transferred to these various accounts. So then you don't feel bad dipping into them because you've actually been saving for what you want. Um, so automate is huge. And then my last piece is Review your contracts. You know, um, you know what insurance do you have? Um, is it you know shop your insurance around on on car, um, on home, on life um, because there's opportunity possibly to save money there, um, and also look at you know phone cable, all your utilities, um, there's always many, many offers happening. And there's an opportunity again to say, can I get my, my costs down in terms of mm-hmm. what I'm paying out? And as we know, there's always these offers out. And then again, if again, we're not paying attention, we don't get an opportunity to take advantage of them. Um, absolutely. Now, when you, you talked about, you know, reviewing your contracts, um, I, I got a phone call from, well, it was Bell, uh, and they were suggesting ways that I could reduce my 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 fees, which I thought was surprising. Yeah. He said, do you really need this? Do you really, you know, you haven't watched this channel. And I said, how do you know exactly what my viewing habits are? But anyway, <laughs> um, but they did suggest ways and cut about $40 a month off my bill. Now that's fantastic. Which I thought was um, surprisingly good service because usually I'm complaining about that. Yeah, yeah. But with insurance, is can you, uh, um, a lot of people say that if you combine your home, your car, everything, you can get a better rate. So yeah. maybe is it better to have all your insurance with one company? 
you know, I, I've gone through the experience of shopping insurance, yeah, and I find that when you do bring it over, you get better discounts. And then the longer you're with them, you get discounts. But there also comes a point sometimes I find where when you're with them to a certain point, it pays to shop around again because other mm. firms will offer you some some bigger, better things to get in. And I think that applies to, again, your, your internet, your cable, um, you know, everything. Well, everyone wants to get the most bang for their buck, mm-hmm. right? It is It is our buck. Yeah. So that's awesome. So Meridian certainly sounds like it's got lots of ways to help. Absolutely. And and again, you know, we talk about budgeting and we talk about, you know, the spring cleaning and looking at your finances. It can be overwhelming. I don't want to underestimate that. And so I always say go into an advisor, uh, let them take a look at, at you know, uh, what your financial situation is. And more importantly, they will work with you on your goals and what you want to achieve, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, saving money for your children's education, for saving money for a house, uh, going on a vacation, whatever it is, they will work with that and then help you come up with a budget and help you with payments and these kind of tips that are really going to, you know, make it easier for you. Delista Cruz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Kate. This is what she said. Stay with us. It's my place where dreams are born and time is never planned. Just think of lovely things. What you are listening to is a song called Never Never Land by the very talented vocalist, voice actor, broadcaster, educator, a woman who's been wearing many hats for many years, Heather Bambrick. Welcome to What She Said. Good to be here. Also, we want to welcome uh, guitarist Rob Pilch. Thank you. Now, your latest solo recording, You'll Never Know, which we just heard a little bit from, was nominated for Vocal Jazz Album of the Year this year at the Junos. And you also just finished up two shows with the uh, TSO at Roy Thompson Hall. How was that? Exhilarating and nerve-wracking and exciting and everything else that goes along with it. Um, I mean, it was a real honor. You know, it was a celebration of Canada's 150. So we had this sesquicentennial concert that we were doing featuring all Canadian composers and or arrangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything from classics to, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen. So we had everything in between. And Rob and I got a chance to sort of do what we do as a little uh, a little feature. We gave the orchestra a break, so that was it was it was a really nice taste of you know what could be experienced at one of these shows. Now, all those hats that we talked about are all rooted in music. Is is music your first love? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, growing up in Newfoundland, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of everywhere. You you have no choice but to be involved in music because it'll pop up in the middle of a kitchen party, and that's the truth. I've I've gone home for Christmas and. You know, we're having dinner at my friend's house, and in between servings, as everyone's filling up their plates, she'll pop over on the piano, which is in her kitchen, you know, and all of a sudden, haul out the holly, and everybody's singing, and (laughs) it seems cliche, but it's true. So, you know, I I grew up surrounded by it, and then when I moved to Toronto, I I did move here to to go to U of T, so I'm I'm really blessed that I can make a living doing things that are mainly musically based. So what's it like being an artist and playing other artists? It's a challenge, actually, because it's even Rob and I were talking about doing it for the TSO show. You know, how how strictly should we stick to what Joni was doing in Big Yellow Taxi when we play it? Um, it's it's a fun challenge to be able to put your own spin on somebody else's stuff. I mean, when we do our own things, that's one thing. We know how we want to do it. But it's it's a chance to do, you know, something written by Shirley Eichhardt or Joni Mitchell and say, OK, this is my rendition of it. Now, you're going to be at the TD Toronto Jazz Festival on June 23rd and 24th at the Homesmith Bar at the Old Mill Toronto. Where, pe- where can people connect with you online to find out all these details? Uh, if they go to heatherbambrick.ca, we're doing uh, actually, I think, six shows all together at the Jazz Festival this year. So four at the Homesmith and then a couple with the Brian Barlow Big Band. So it's uh, it's going to be busy for the next two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, good luck. Thank you. And thank you very much for joining us tonight. Now, that is the end of our show, but we will be back next weekend so be sure to follow us on social media at what she said talk and now performing i only have eyes for you here is heather bambrick are the stars out tonight i can't tell if it's cloudy or bright because i only have eyes for you The moon may be high, but I can't see a thing in the sky, cause I only have eyes for you. 
favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.